So today we're bringing back a crowd favorite. His name is Andrew Updike. He is an economist with First Trust Investments, and he's going to bring us up to speed as to everything that has happened so far this year with the economy, and then some projections going forward to get us through the end of the year. I hope you enjoy. Yeah, if you're thinking about you know this idea of retirement and uh, coming out of a COVID scenario, I you know Merce and I just love talking to him because he makes what can be very complicated scenarios when it comes to our economy. Uh, super simple. And uh, Merce said it, uh, we were talking about it after the interview is that he's great at telling a story and helping us to understand it simply. And so I think you're going to really, really enjoy this uh, episode. Uh, but here's the thing I'd like to tell you also, if you are wanting more information about how to have a good secure retirement, please visit our website, pomwealth.net. A couple things there. You can go to the blog, there's many articles and new articles put on the uh, blog every single week on different topics around retirement. Also, there is a button on every page that you can uh, schedule a 15-minute complimentary phone call with myself or Merce. Uh, our calendar comes right up. You can schedule that, and we're glad to answer any questions you have whatsoever. But before we get into this particular episode, we have to do a quick disclosure, and we'll get started. All right. The information in this podcast is for general information only, not to be considered individualized advice. Different types of investments carry different levels of risk. As always, please contact your financial professional for advice appropriate to your situation. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Secure Your Retirement podcast. This is the place where high achieving professionals come to gain confidence on how to successfully navigate their transition into and life during retirement. There's no such thing as a passive retirement plan. To have a successful financial future, your plan must be actively managed. Each week, we will bring you action plans and expert interviews that will help you gain insights, learn fresh perspectives, and finally experience peace of mind about your retirement. Here to help you achieve your dream retirement and live the life you deserve are your hosts, certified financial planners, Raiden Stancil and Merce Tariq. Welcome, everyone, to our Monday podcast. Every Monday, we are our goal is to bring value, and we do that by interviewing an expert in a certain place. Now, today, we have someone who's been with us a couple of times, Andrew Updike, who is an economist and is someone who has been able to give us a lot of insight on where things are from an economic perspective, and then talk about how that might affect the market. So first of all, before I go too far, too much far further in this introduction here, thank you so much, Andrew, for coming back and, and, and talking with us again. Hey, I'm happy to be here with you. Great. So as I said, you know, the whole concept here is, is what we want to do, Andrew, is we're going to ask you some questions. We obviously had your update last quarter, and it just is nice. I, our listeners love being able to just get the, the sense of what's going on economically, how that might tie to the market, and then obviously some things that we could like look forward to in the year and maybe some, some of those uh, positives and maybe some potential negatives. So uh, we're going to get right into it. I think Merce is going to get us started on that. Yeah, Andrew, thanks again for joining us. Uh, we have gotten some really good feedback on on when we have you on the podcast, just because, you know, everyone want, everyone likes to hear what's going on with the economy. Uh, and, I, and you do a really good job uh, as far as explaining it in terms that people can understand. So I'm going to go ahead and tee you up and say, let's stick with that. Let's keep it simple. Um, but if you could start, start us off and just say, you know, 
what what has gone on thus far this year? We've gotten pretty comfortable, or comfortable is not the right word, but we know what is going on as far as the coronavirus goes. But the economy mm -hmm. of, has been in flux for quite some quite a bit this year. So can you just kind of give us a summary as from January as to where we are as we sit here in uh, the end of July uh, as to what's gone on so far? Yeah, so so what's happened in, through the first half of the year is we're looking out into the second half of the year, what's set the framework. Now, here's the first thing I want to mention is remember, because as far as we've come, and we have come a long way here in 2021, uh, we can look back now through the second quarter and say, wow, second quarter had tremendous growth from an economic standpoint. The first quarter had very strong growth from an economic standpoint. Uh, it, it didn't always look like that was guaranteed to be the case. The beginning of this year, you mentioned we've seen tremendous progress on the COVID front, but at the beginning of this year, it was January, mid-January, when COVID cases were hitting new highs here in the United States. And so the progress that we've made, uh, it, it, uh, what I'll say is it's continued to beat expectations. And we've seen this kind of down the line. We've seen retail sales numbers and retail sales. We have data right now, uh, basically through halfway through the year, Retail sales are up 18%, 18% from where they were pre-COVID. Now, in a normal year, it grows about 4 5 6%. And so what we've seen is, is a dramatic move above that pace. And, and it's coming from a few different reasons. One side is there's been more money in the system. We had the stimulus bills that passed last year that, that passed at the beginning of this year. That put money in the hands of consumers. It put money in the hands of businesses. We've uh, seen people spending that money as the economy has reopened, I, I would break down the recovery kind of into two phases. The first phase, which we saw through a lot of last year, was this adaptation phase. We moved from the outside inside. We moved from the inside online. We did things digitally. We did things remotely. We did things uh, separated because that's what we needed to do through COVID. This year, with the vaccinations, with the reopening across the country, we're getting back to the things we were doing pre-COVID. We're getting back to restaurants. We're getting back to movie theaters. We're getting back to sporting events. We're getting back to travel. And we've seen that transition in the economic data. The spending pickup of late has come from those areas that represent a lot of our downtowns, whereas last year, downtowns really lagged. So it's a broadening out from an economic growth perspective. Along with that, we're seeing a pickup in employment. Now, there's, this, this is going to be a key question, I think, for the third quarter and the fourth quarter, is what are the drivers or the headwinds to getting people back to work? That's a key question on the economic front right now, but we're seeing the numbers accelerate. Uh, and I think it's going to be a record year on the employment front. I think we're going to continue to see strong growth in spending. The pace may slow down a bit here in the second half because of, of all that pent-up demand that got unleashed in the first half of this year. Uh, but the second half, from an economic growth perspective, has got a lot of fundamental tailwinds behind it that look set to continue not just through the end of the year, but into 2022 as well. Yeah, well, uh, you know, we're seeing that, I think, as being seen all over the country, um, that people are are getting back out. But here's a question yeah. I've got, just to get your perspective on it. You know, I went to lunch today. There's a sign right in front that said, please excuse us for any lack of, you know, good quality service because we're understaffed. We appreciate yeah, you yeah. being uh, uh, understanding. Um, book a flight, flight gets canceled. And you read mm -hmm. the article and the articles are saying, hey, uh, right now the airlines across the board, Southwest, American, Delta, 
united. All of them are saying, hey, you know what we did that may have not been a good idea as we encouraged all these pilots and stewardess uh, and help and all that kind of stuff to take early um, retirements and now major understaffing. And yet, yeah. you know, we're seeing that across the board. How do we, that's going to affect, it's got to affect sales. It's got to affect the demand. Like, what does that do for us if we don't get that under under control or fixed? Yeah, so so I would say there's kind of two two major consequences of this. One is this supply and demand mismatch. Demand has come back faster than supply has been able to keep up. Uh, that is holding back growth from being faster than it otherwise would be. We could have more people being served in restaurants. We could have more people on flights. We could have more activity going on, but we don't have the capacity uh, to serve that demand. I'll tell you, we, we just got reports out recently from the Institute of Supply Management, they put out reports uh, every month, both on the manufacturing side and the service sector side, and one of their people said it best. They, they're from the restaurant sector, and they said, look, activity is reopening. We're getting back to normal almost a little too quickly. We cannot find people to staff our restaurants, so we have locations that remain closed, not because demand isn't there, not because we don't want that to that store to be open, but because we cannot afford to staff it. We are seeing some employment activity uh, from the younger demographics. Teenage employment is one of the highest levels that we've seen, which is, is interesting to me, but they're getting positions that two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, they wouldn't have gotten. They're getting a, a waiter job at, at a steakhouse, which normally would have required five, six, seven years of experience in steakhouse. They're saying, look, this is who's answering the call. These are the people who are showing up. So one side of the dynamic is we could be growing faster, but we're not right now. That means some of the growth is getting pushed out to the second half of this year into next year. The other thing is, is the impact on prices, right? Prices have been rocketing. I mean, pre-COVID, there was a push and there was discussions out of Washington about a $15 minimum wage. That's kind of the barrier that's been created with the additional unemployment benefits, the extension of the benefits, uh, the, the payout equaled out to around $15 per hour. So if you were thinking of coming back, you had a job in the food industry, that bar that needs to get passed to kind of pull you back into the labor force got moved a little bit higher. Now, 26 states have seen this and said, okay, we're done. Job openings are at the highest level that we've seen in history. There's demand in every state, essentially every industry. So we need to change what we're doing. 26 states have pulled back. They've eliminated the additional unemployment benefits and the extension. The remaining 24 states are set to see that happen in September. It's really hard to say exactly what the impact of that is. Uh, it's going to take some time because economic data is backward looking. It's telling us what happened a month or two months ago. So it's going to be another month or so before we really start to see it in the data. One of the things I've been tracking is Indeed. Indeed is the job posting site. And Indeed has also been telling us the job postings are at record levels, but they also track job search activity. And they've been tracking job search activity in states that have seen the changes uh, implemented in terms of removing the additional benefits. And we see a pickup in search activity in the places where that has happened. It does certainly seem that the removal of additional benefits, the removal of the extended timeline for additional unemployment benefits is causing people to seek work. I bet by September, uh, it, not only are we gonna have the national level pullback in terms of the additional unemployment benefits, we're gonna have kids going back to school. And so the childcare discussion, when you're in the summer, if you're looking for a job, but you've got your kids at home, it makes it more difficult. I think there's a few factors that as we get into September, we're gonna see some of the supply chain easing. And I think we'll see 
fewer uh, canceled flights. Um, I think that we're going to see the, the, the restaurant service, the restaurant activity pick up. It's not going to be a seamless transition, but I bet by the end of this year, we've made some significant progress on that front. Yeah, yeah. When you say it like that, it does make perfect sense. You know, it's kind of just this whole cause and effect type of relationship. If you ease one thing here, well, this will start to pick up and you can kind of see, but you're right, it will take some time for us actually to see uh, the effects of saying easing on the the additional benefits and how long that takes. And then, uh, you know, I didn't even, and this is what's so nice about being able to talk to an economist, I didn't really even factor in well, if if kids are back in school come September, well, what type of effect does that have on everyone else's ability to go back to normal? Because mm -hmm. the past year, 18 months, you know, families have been really, really, families with kids have been really stressed out. And yeah. how do you make that work? You either, you, you kind of drop your job, take care of the kids at home, get them through the homeschooling and everything like that, or you find a way to make it work uh, and, and daycares and everything like that are overwhelmed right now too. So uh, mm -hmm. it, it's it's an interesting perspective. Um, Andrew, I'd like to stick with the kind of the 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 numbers here and um, and uh, the supply and demand conversation, but let's take it towards this whole aspect of inflation. You know, that's been making everyone really nervous over the past couple months. Let's say uh, of this potential of inflation going up, and uh, and in our opinion, I think it's going to be more of a shorter term thing. But how long is a short term deal? So, what's your what's your opinion on where we're heading on? Uh, in, in the ne in the near term for that, yeah. So so there's kind of two key factors that work on the inflation front. There's and and, and I'm going to break those down into a short term factor and a longer term factor. The short term factor has really been this supply and demand mismatch. Uh, when you think about it, and, and I'm just going to throw out a couple numbers here. Last year we lost in March and April over 22 million jobs, which was roughly triple the number lost during a two-year time period with the financial crisis. To put it in another perspective, in, in two-month time frame last year, we essentially canceled out 10 years' worth of job gains from the bottoming of the financial crisis till February of 2020 when we had the lowest unemployment rate since the 1960s. It was a massive impact to production as those jobs have come back, and, and we have brought back so far about 14 million jobs. We've seen some substantial progress on that front, but a lot of the jobs that are not back have been in areas like manufacturing, like production, like our downtowns. And so with that, you know, the supply chain, it's still healing. It's still fixing. Some places have said, okay, well, then what we're going to do is we're going to try to expand capacity. We're going to try to produce more with fewer people. But then you've got shortages on some of the inputs. We've all, I think everybody's heard about the semiconductor shortages. That has had impacts on everything from used vehicles to the appliances that we have. It also impacts manufacturers' capacity to ramp up their scale. They want to, they are looking to invest, but their ability to invest in their company in production has been hampered. That has been the key factor pushing interest rates higher, or uh, sorry, not interest rates, inflation numbers higher. CPI as it stands right now is up about 5% in the last year. If you step a little bit further back in the chain and you look at producer prices, that's up a little bit more than 6%. I think we're gonna see some easing on the supply chain as we move to the end of this year and to the beginning of next year. I've been tracking some of the data that's coming into the port of uh, Long Beach. It's the biggest port that we have here in the United States. The delay times for ships coming in, unloading, is starting to ease. It's starting to uh, improve a little bit. One of the key questions from my standpoint in terms of inflation is, as the jobs come back and as confidence comes back and as people are getting back to work and the supply and demand mismatch kind of eases, 
what about all this money that's come into the system? Because there were all those stimulus checks. And here's what happened with the stimulus checks. Uh, people who got them, and it was very consistent across each set of stimulus checks. They took about a third of it and they spent it. That boosted retail sales. They took a third of it and they paid down debt. As we stand here today, credit card debt in the United States is down about $150 billion in the last year. But that last third, they took and they put into savings. They put it into checking accounts. So the checking savings account balances for individuals uh, jumped substantially. That is arguably also one of the reasons that's holding back employment. People have more of a cushion, so they feel more comfortable waiting. But as confidence returns and as they get their jobs back, if they start pulling that money out of accounts and if they start bringing their credit card balances back up, I think we could see inflationary pressures of three, four, five percent on a year-over-year -year basis. I could see those holding through much of next year. Um, we may see where it's shifting. It may move out of used vehicles towards more service sector related things. Last year was very good focused. When we moved inside, we bought things, not experiences. Now as experience opened back up, uh, people are getting back on planes, they're getting back to hotels, and if there's limited capacity there, that's gonna push prices up. So I think we could see a transition in what's driving the prices, but I think we could see above trend inflation for the next 12 to 18 months. I hope that you are enjoying the show. By the way, if you are in or nearing retirement and are someone who wants to gain clarity on what questions you should be asking, learn what the biggest retirement myths are, and identify what you could be doing to achieve peace of mind for your retirement, get started today by requesting your complimentary video course, Four Steps to Secure Your Retirement. To access the course, simply visit pomwealth.net forward slash podcast. If you're new here or you haven't done this yet, this is definitely the first step to get started in applying these principles to your life. So head over to pomwealth.net forward slash podcast and check us out. So when we left out of 2020 going into 2021, one of the things that we saw that was occurring is the large you know, cap or large companies were the ones that were producing higher in 2020. Uh, mm -hmm. We see a shift to smaller companies and mid-sized companies, and we shifted a lot of our portfolio into those areas, and it has been very, very good. Mm -hmm. um, we have seen, though, in the last little bit, some of that spread going away that was, you know, because it was a big uh, spread. It's just going down a little bit, not major, but a little bit. Do you see that continuing to shift or do you see as things continue to open back up, which is obviously a lot of the small and mid-sized companies, that that gap will continue or do you start to see another shift? Like if you had to like look at things, how do you think that's going to play out? Yeah, so I, I think from a core fundamental standpoint, I like what's behind the small and the medium size. We've seen a broadening out and if we look back to history, if we look post uh, dot-com bubble, if we look post financial crisis, you tend to see a one to two sometimes even longer period, where these cyclicals, we see a broadening out of the economic recovery, uh, and these areas, the small and medium size, tend to be major beneficiaries of that. What I think we've seen lately is that started to run uh, up, people started to watch the tech, and there's been a lot of questions related to what is the Fed going to do and what's the impact that's going to have on interest rates here over the next 12, 24, 36, 48. Remember, Interest rates have a disproportionate impact on growth-based companies. As interest rates rise, it's a greater hamper to activity for growth companies because they are planning to invest so much into the future. At the beginning of this year, we saw interest rates rise 
from you know last year's bottoms of close to half a percent up to one six, one seven, close to one eight percent on the ten-year Treasury. That's pulled back a little bit now. As we've seen a bit of a pullback on the ten-year Treasury, we've seen a little bit more shift back towards tech. I still like technology. I think if we're talking three, five years out, I think technology is going to be back in a earnings leadership position. Uh, but I think over the next two years, roughly, we're going to see the cyclicals outperform. I think we're going to see the small and mid-size outperform. And I think a lot of people, because of what happened last year, where it was very large tech growth heavy, if you hadn't done some of this rebalancing, you have a very high exposure to the, the tech sector. You want to broaden out. Diversification is there for a reason. I still like that. I would still be positioned towards the, the small and medium size. And it's kind of barbelling it. Small and medium size here, having some of that tech exposure here, um, and, and really playing along with the broadening out of the economic recovery that I do believe, again, I think it's going to go beyond this year. I think we'll continue to see some strong performance from small and mid in the next year as Europe reopens, and that should be here in the third quarter. We'll see some strong performance from developed Europe. Emerging markets are going to follow after that. We're in the early stages of the global recovery. The U.S. is a little bit further along, and I think small and medium size is going to continue to see some benefits from the global reopening as well. Gotcha. So you said something in there um, about the Fed. And so, you know, everyone knows the Fed, the Fed stepped in when the coronavirus hit us very hard last year and, and the asset purchasing program that they've been, they, they, they did last year and have continued to do in 2021. What are mm -hmm. your thoughts on uh, when they start to ease and what, what is that going to do to the economy when they do start to ease that? Yeah, so there's, there's two sides of the easing process. Uh, the one that gets the most attention, and I think rightfully so, is, is the federal funds rate, the base rate for the U.S. economy, in some cases for the world economy, because so many places focus on the U.S., pegged to the dollar. Uh, the dollar is the most used currency in the world. The federal funds rate is their key tool for trying to manage inflation, trying to manage economic activity. That is not going anywhere in 2021. It's not going anywhere in 2022. Uh, we've been thinking for a little while that they could move starting in 2023. Up until about two weeks ago, the Fed said, no, we're waiting through 2023. But then they had a meeting about two, three weeks ago, and the consensus, it's, it's that median vote. There's, there's like 15 people who are voting. The middle vote in that said, okay, we do think it's going to be appropriate to move interest rates modestly higher in 2023. I don't think we're going to see any tight monetary policy, which is a critical piece from an economic growth fundamental standpoint. Monetary policy is one of the most impactful tools uh, determining whether we're growing or declining. It's going to remain extremely accommodative at least through 2023. Uh, if they move 25, 50 basis points, 100 basis points in 2023, which is more than what they're anticipating, we would still be on the lower end of what we've seen throughout history. In the short term, they're going to do a couple things before they start talking about lifting the federal funds rate. Right now, the Fed is purchasing $120 billion a month of a combination of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, 80 treasury, 40 mortgage-backed security. They're probably going to start to pull back a little bit on that process. I think we're going to see an announcement later this year. Uh, we're going to see the implementation, I expect, at the beginning of next year where they're going to just start to ease their buying process. That was meant to create liquidity, to uh, create a backdrop of security within the financial system when everything happened last year. And they did the same during the financial crisis. We're now at a point where the recovery is strongly underway. Banks are, quite honestly, flush with cash. Consumers are flush with cash. 
I don't think there's too many people arguing that the housing market needs additional support. So I think that we're going to start to see the Fed ease off of that. That could bring some volatility to the markets. Uh, we had the taper tantrum after the financial crisis. As they started to pull back, people had some uncertainty on whether or not that was going to cause a major shift in interest rates. We learned afterwards that it did not. So I think we learned from that process. I think it's going to be, uh, well, there may be volatility. It should not be as severe as what we saw after the financial crisis. They're going to slowly step back these purchases in preparation for the lifting of rates. But as it stands here, I would say that's about two years off right now. Mid-2023 is when I expect the Fed's going to make that first move. And the only way they make that move, this is critical, the only way that the Fed starts lifting rates is if the economic growth, the employment growth, and the inflation are in a position for them to do that. If, we're, if we see a big slowdown in economic growth, if we were to see uh, employment stall out, that would push back their timeline for doing anything. The fact that the Fed is moving to me is a positive sign of how far we have come, how much growth we've seen to the, to the point that the economy doesn't need their support. So I, I view that as a positive, and I think we'll be there within the next two years. Well, great. So, uh, Andrew, when we have you on, we always like to ask you kind of what your you know predictions are and where you think things are going. So uh, we've got a couple predictions we'd like to know, kind of like how you think the year is going to end from a mm – -hmm. Uh, stock market perspective, and mm -hmm. then had to say, if you were sitting in December of 2021, uh, what is being said about the year as they look back? Okay, so let's start with the market. We we have a model that we look at that essentially is, is focused on two key things. It's looking at what's going on with interest rates, what's going on with earnings. I believe those are the two core fundamental pieces for market growth over time. We've been watching those. Uh, we we expect to see some significant positive movements on the earnings front. Earnings have been beating by about 23% versus consensus expectations over recent quarters. If that number halves, if we get to 10% beat rates through the remainder of this year, earnings per share on the S&P 500 are going to be close to $200, which is a significant jump up from where we were even in 2019 pre-COVID. At the same time, as we just mentioned, the Fed is, is, is going to remain easy. I think interest rates are going to remain subdued, which benefits business investment in people and products and projects. Uh, so I think those are tailwinds from a market standpoint. Now, there's, there's, there's headwinds. There's things that are on the horizon uh, that could bring volatility, that could bring uncertainty. There's questions. Are we going to see tax changes? There's questions that relate to when and how large would an infrastructure bill be if we get that? Now, that would be spending into the future, primarily hitting in 2022. But as the market tries to price that in, it could create volatility. I think that fair market, I think the, the, the market is worth today, should be priced around 5,100 on the S&P 500. But I don't think we're going to get there this year. Our target uh, has been for 4,500 on the S&P 500. So for the year, that's about 21.5%. Uh, market price growth from the end of 2020. It's, it's being led by this broadening out from a, a, a sector standpoint. It, it's, it's the industrials, it's the materials, it's the financials, it's the energy that lagged last year providing this big earnings tailwind. If, if I had to choose, if you gave me an over-under on 4,500, I would say the risk is that we over shoot on that number, that, that, that we the market comes in above that. But I, I, I always am a little bit cautious watching what could be coming out of Washington and how that can spook the markets in the short term before we actually see what gets implemented. 
what are we going to be saying about 2021 when we stand here at the end of December, December 31st, and we look back on the year? Uh, I think we're going to say a few things. One, from an economic perspective, it was the best single year for growth in close to 40 years. Uh, we are on track right now to see GDP growth, real inflation-adjusted growth of about 7%. We haven't had that since 1984. I think we're going to be sitting there at the end of this year having had Thanksgiving, having had Christmas with family and with friends. I think we're going to be looking back and saying things look pretty darn normal. I think a lot of our numbers, whether that's air traffic or it's, it's hotel occupancies, um, a lot of these numbers that really fell last year that are in recovery, I think are going to be kind of back on trend as we get to the end of this year. So I think market growth will have been strong. I think economic performance will have been strong. I think we're going to be having the conversations at the end of this year on taxes, on infrastructure. But I think the outlook for 2022 as we stand at that point and say, wow, we just had a great year. Can we continue this? I think the economic fundamentals are going to point to a strong start to 2022 as well. Well, that is a great summary, Andrew. Thanks again. Once again, you know, all, all of your knowledge, your expertise, bringing it to our podcast for our listeners to hear in a way that they can understand. Uh, thanks a lot for taking the time out of your day uh, for joining us today. Hey, always love joining you. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone. That wraps up today's episode of the Secure Your Retirement podcast. If you found value in today's episode, we would love nothing more than for you to head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and a review. Be sure to take a screenshot of the review before you submit it, and we'll send you a special gift. Our book, Get Off the Retirement Roller Coaster. Just email morgan at pomwealth.net with a screenshot of the review to get your gift. Also, be sure to subscribe so you get notified of new episodes as they're released every week. And finally, please share our podcast with your favorite social network so more of your friends and family can benefit from this information. Always remember, you've worked hard to get where you are, and now you deserve to have a retirement that works hard for you.